Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. It's HR Compliance Week over at HR Daily Advisor, and the HR Works podcast is getting in on the action. In today's episode, we speak with leadership expert Eric Harkins and learn how great leadership and clear expectations can impact compliance and the employee handbook. Eric is the president and founder of GKG Search and Consulting, a Minnesota-based consulting firm that helps organizations acquire and retain top performers. He is also the author of a Forbes book titled, Great Leaders Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck, How to Get, Keep, and Grow Talent. During his 25-year career in corporate America, Eric has held leadership positions ranging from manager to chief talent officer to chief administrative officer. He's a motivational speaker, executive coach, and an expert in helping companies create a culture that high performers want to be a part of. Let's hear what Eric has to say about leadership, compliance, and getting the most out of your team, even on Monday mornings. Eric, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Hey, thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Glad to have you. So, Eric, we've got you on, and we'll be running this episode as part of our HR Compliance Week on HR Daily Advisor. Now, knowing that your focus is in leadership, I really want to have our conversation today about how leadership and compliance interact and how good leaders can sometimes overcome a lot of the compliance challenges that may exist in an employee handbook. Before we dive into that, though, I'd love to introduce you to our audience and get to know you a bit better. Tell us a bit about your background, how you got started in business leadership and where you've touched on HR and just how you've brought yourself to GKG Search and Consulting. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I, I've had quite a uh, quite a journey. It's been a fun ride. You know, I didn't, if I was smart enough to do it by design, I'd, I'd, I'd look like a genius, but I had all these different experiences. I worked for a small company. I worked for big companies. I worked for privately held. I worked for family owned. I worked for tech and healthcare. And so, you know, obviously now I look back at my career and say, wow, I mean, uh, what was the constant and, and what was different between industries and size of company? And, and, and that was kind of the inspiration of the book that, you know, hey, great leaders are great leaders, no matter what organization, what, what, no matter what product you sell. But my background, really, 25 years in, in corporate America, I started my career with Target Corporation and uh, started on the operations side and kind of had this journey of some operations, some sales, a lot of HR. I was lucky enough to be the head of HR at three different companies and uh, ultimately ended my career as the chief administrative officer for about a $1.5 billion retailer that had about 6,000 employees across 47 states. And so really a very cool um, a journey. Uh, you name the industry and I've, I've probably worked in it. Some people will joke and say I can't hold a job because I've had so many experiences. But uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is you know, listen, I'm lucky enough to have been fired twice and uh, you learn a lot during those experiences. And so, you know, the kind of overarching uh, headline of the inspiration of the book was over 25 years with all those different experiences. I was, you know, really lucky because I worked for some great leaders, but I was even luckier because I worked for some really bad leaders. And uh, you learn lessons from both, but uh, I think I've, uh, I've tried to capture that in the book. Absolutely. All right. That's the beauty of moving around is that you get some different exposure to styles that work and don't work and you see the best right. and the worst. So having you on as a part of our HR Compliance Week on HR Daily Advisor, 
A lot of our coverage will be surrounding compliance for HR professionals, but bringing you in as a leadership professional with 25 plus years of expertise, I'd love to get your take on how leadership and compliance interact for HR professionals or really just in the workplace in general. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, you know, my my take on it might be a little bit uh, different or unexpected. But, you know, my take throughout my whole career was, you know, I used to joke that uh, my goal was to work at a company that didn't need an employee handbook, because that told me that you had the right leaders who understood how to create a culture that people wanted to be a part of. And you had high performing employees that didn't need to be told that that's okay or not okay. Right. And my feeling is, you know, compliance becomes such an issue for a company or the handbooks become a a necessary tool because the companies aren't addressing the underperformers. I mean, I want people listening to think about the last time you had to have a compliance or handbook or or, um, you know, quote unquote, HR type of conversation with your highest performing employee. It, It doesn't happen because. They show up, they support the direction of the company, they know what needs to be done, they're doing their job, they're an employee or a leader that people like working with and for, but when, and it's not just HR, right? When a leader needs to fall back on a policy or, um, you know, hey, that's not okay per our handbook, you know, handbooks are designed really at the end of the day to, you know, give you the guideposts of behavior, what's, what's good and bad behavior. My belief is if you hire high-performing employees, you set expectations for them up front. More importantly, and we'll probably talk about this later on, on the podcast, is, you know, especially with leaders, if you set expectations for leaders on how you want them to show up, things like compliance or uh, integrity issues or ethics violations typically uh, go away or are mitigated significantly because of the people that you have in your organization. Thank you for that insight. So let me ask, speaking of handbooks, is there something yeah. in the handbook that, from your opinion, should be gone that, that's holding leadership teams back? Well, like the first 99 pages of the handbook, probably. But uh, no, all kidding aside, I mean, really, I think I ask myself or I, I would have conversations with teams like, why do we need to tell people this? Now, to me, a handbook is not things like what's our vacation policy? What's our leave policy? You know, that's just information that you need to make sure the people who work for you know about. And that's some of what's in a handbook. But when you have stuff in your handbook around how to behave, how to treat others, you know, um, how you show up, it's like, wow, if you have to tell somebody, like one of my favorite uh, lines to use, and it's the back cover of my book, is if you're not sure, you're sure. And it's my favorite saying because I think it's really good life advice. Like if you're not sure you should do that in your life, uh, you probably shouldn't do it. Like most of the decisions we make in our life aren't that hard. We just need to decide to make them. And, and I don't judge, so it's not about whether you do or not. But when you're talking about the workplace and especially you're talking about leadership, Like if you're not sure that person's a good leader, well, I think you're probably sure. If you're not sure that person should get promoted, you're probably sure. As an employee, if I'm not sure the way I just treated that person, or if I'm not sure that, you know, not uh, not entering all of the information is is okay if I'm in accounting or whatever, but I think you actually do know the answer to that, right? So to me, when you look at a handbook, you know, look through it and say, why do we think we need to tell people this? Why do we think we need to have this available? Because to me, my other goal, and, and I never achieved it, but my ever, my other goal was someday I'm going to work in a company that doesn't have annual reviews or performance reviews, because if you're a great leader, you don't need them because you're communicating with your team on a consistent basis. Your high performers know they're your high performers. 
your low performers know they're your low performers. The people who are stuck in the middle who need direction are getting it from you. And there's no surprises. Hey, you're our highest performing person. I've been telling you that all year. Congratulations. Here's your bonus. You earned it. When I hear these stories of, wow, the first time I heard I wasn't performing well was at my annual review. Nobody talked to me about that all year long. And that's such a common conversation that I have. And, and I think this probably relates to our conversation. But one of my other conversations that I have when I'm doing consulting or speaking is, listen, performance management is not a one-time event, right? It is not just the annual review. It is not just the expectation setting up front. And it's definitely not just when you're so frustrated with somebody that you've given up on any uh, desire to improve their performance if they're an underperformer. And so I think about that same thing with like a handbook or compliance. I mean, it's not a one-time event. I mean, you should be having those conversations on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And, uh, you know, leaders lead by example. So whatever tone your leaders in your organization sets about what behavior is acceptable is going to permeate through the organization. And, you know, we either will or won't tolerate that leader who screams at somebody or we either will or won't tolerate a leader who lacks integrity and is deceiving a customer. And, you know, if, if you have employees who say, well, if the VP can do it, I guess I can do it. Uh, that's where it starts to break down and you have to have something to fall back on like a handbook to tell them that that's not okay versus a great leader who can just have that conversation. Sure. That makes total sense. And you're right. The handbook almost comes in at times and the pieces of the handbook are almost serving the low bar. Right. The top performers shouldn't have to worry about those issues. No. And, and it's a crutch for bad leaders who aren't capable of having those transparent, honest, and at times direct conversations. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book is, listen, I unfortunately in my career, given the roles I held, I had to fire a bunch of people. I had to lay a bunch of people off. I had to eliminate a bunch of positions. And, you know, I don't think I ever went home and, you know, high-fived somebody that I just got to fire somebody. It's not a fun part of the job. But it's part of the job. And if you are a leader, you have to accept that there are times where you have to have the difficult conversations and give difficult direction. And, and where it breaks down is when the leaders know that that person should have been fired three months ago. Now it's four months. Now it's five months and they're still there. And your high performers are looking around saying, well, you know, why am I working so hard? I mean, no, nobody cares if I work hard because Billy over there has been getting away with this stuff for six months and nobody's addressing his behavior. That makes total sense. And look, I, I liked what you said too regarding performance reviews. And really, I've always been to the understanding too, nothing from a performance review should come as a surprise if right. a leader's doing their job, right? You should yeah. know where you stand, that it should be a recap at the end of the year and there shouldn't be anything that catches an employee off guard. Right, and you know, we, uh, the, I mean, the title of the book, Great Leaders Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck, it's kind of gets a lot of comments, kind of a fun title. But this idea of the Sunday scaries or the Monday morning stomach ache or whatever, I mean, it's kind of a real thing that gets talked about a lot. And, and my feeling is, you know, if, if you have employees who are in a bad mood on Sunday night, they haven't even logged on to Zoom or they haven't even gotten in their car to drive to work yet. They're already in a bad mood on Monday morning. I think it's because of one of three things. They're a high performer, but nobody's told them that yet. They're a low performer and nobody's told them that yet. Or as I said earlier, they're kind of stuck in the middle and nobody's giving them direction on how to improve or give them the direction on what they should focus on. And it's so avoidable, right? I mean, do your high performers know they're your high performers? And, and that sounds like such a simple concept. But uh, one of the things that I, I talk about in the book is the worst thing that happens to high performers in a lot of companies is they find out how valued they are, how respected they are about two minutes after they give their notice. And I have had people tell me the first time my boss ever told me how much they appreciated what I did was 
in my exit interview or after I gave my notice. It's like, well, I've been doing this for three years. You've never once given me a compliment. I give you my notice and now you tell me I'm the next to get promoted. Like, you know, too late. Right. There's your red flag. As simple as that sounds, like don't let your high performers leave without knowing you think they're your high performers and don't let your poor performers continue to show up. And I try to oversimplify things and I can't make it any easier than that. Like that is such a huge part of creating a culture people want to be a part of. Now, that's great leadership advice that I think prevails, whether you're in a remote or hybrid environment or you're still in the office, that carries through. But knowing that we've gone through so much that has changed since March 2020, since so many offices, so many workforces shifted to a different look right out of the office and into either a remote or hybrid environment, what's changed with leadership? What philosophies haven't really held up as much? And then really what has, what has succeeded and remained relevant through the shift in so much of our our day-to-day work jobs? Yeah, it's such a great question. And, you know, it's such a such a fluid world we're living in right now. I mean, I, I used to always love to say, well, sometimes you just have to build the plane in midair and that can be exciting, but that can be scary. And, you know, I don't think any of us have ever seen a, a bigger example of building the plane in midair. You know, are we returning to the office? Aren't we? Oh, we thought we were, but now there's Omnicron. Like, you know, it's just the world that we live in. And so I think a couple things, a couple really positive things came out of it. One was a lot of companies who didn't think you could allow an employee to work from home realized very quickly, wow, we can work from home, right? A lot of companies realized that they were putting money against things that they didn't really need because, wow, why why have we had 20 people working on this every day when we just realized we only need two or whatever it might be? So I do think that there were some real, like, we have to rethink our business, even though it was sort of a forced and un- unplanned. But lots of companies that I've, you know, know people who work at who had very strict, you know, not, you can't work from home. And and even though they might be able to return to the office, have decided, you know what? No, we, we don't need to know. And I also think, I mean, on that conversation, it's, you know, companies need to feel comfortable with whatever their position is. You know, that that unfortunately means not every employee who works there is going to be comfortable with the company's decision is. But, you know, every day you hear about another company that says you never have to come back to work and you hear about another company that says we're returning to the office. And I think both are okay. I really do. But you have to understand that you have to do what you feel is best for your organization. So I think more companies realized it's okay to be remote than companies that didn't. So I do think that was positive outcome for some businesses, certainly in the world of recruiting, right? If you have flexibility in where people can be based, if you're trying to find a, a vice president of operations and there's one city they can live in or 50 states they could live in, you know, your candidate pool just increased by a thousand times. So there's some value to that too, but he's being able to attract talent that they might not have otherwise been able to. You know, I joke, I mean, I'm doing this call from Minneapolis today and it's 20 below zero and, you know, try recruiting somebody uh, and flying them into Minneapolis from Florida today to have an interview. Uh, Your chances that they're going to accept are pretty low. Tell that same candidate you can work from your home in Florida and come in for a quarterly meeting and your chances of an acceptance probably just went through the roof. So that's one piece that I think really helped companies hire better talent, realizing they can be more flexible. I think another thing that's more, you know, kind of related to how I'm treated as an individual and, you know, I joke about it in the book that why did it take a global pandemic for us to start using Zoom for our remote employees? Like, I feel like such an idiot. 
like I've managed remote employees and and they were the ones that were on the crappy conference room phone that had a bad connection. And they've been trying to ask a question for 15 minutes and nobody can hear them because, you know, they're uh, they're the one person on the conference call. It's like, well, we had Zoom before COVID. Why didn't we use that technology before? And uh, so I think that companies also realize that, you know, COVID aside, What are we doing to make sure that every employee on this team, whether they have the benefit of being in the room or not, is now in the room, right? So I think those were some of the positive uh, outcomes and and some things that have forced companies to think a little bit different. That's great. So let's look at the other side of the coin there. Did anything become outdated or become irrelevant in leadership tactics? I'm just thinking specifically, you lose the opportunity to maybe walk around the office and have that in-person opportunity. I think a lot of good leaders have learned how to shift on that and and set up either individual meetings or other ways to touch base and still have that connection. But what's become irrelevant in leadership tactics? Yeah, I think you you bring up a great point. I mean, and and when I was in corporate America, I was the guy that walked around and high fived people. You know, if there was a scooter, I was going to grab it and ride it around the office. Right. Like, let's have some fun. And you do, I mean, you do lose that, right? You, you lose that ability. And so I think it's not as easy. However, I think the people who are hiding behind Zoom as the reason they're not able to create a great culture is, is really disappointing to use that as an excuse. And I, I, I've said this before that I think people who had a good or great, however they would define it, leader before COVID probably had an easier transition to the remote work than the person who did not have a good or great leader before COVID probably didn't have as great of a transition. And so I think one thing that companies have learned is that while it might be slightly, and I use that word literally, I don't think it's much more, but slightly more difficult to create an exciting culture you know, via Zoom than when you can high five people in the office, it's not that much harder. So I think companies have realized that, wow, you know, we probably didn't realize how good or bad that leader was until we realize now what the engagement level looks like on our team. And, you know, I have these three lessons that I've learned along the way. And I tell a story in the book that how they kind of evolved into rules in my career. And, you know, lesson number one is it's okay to have fun at work. And lesson number two is poor performing employees don't quit voluntarily. And lesson number three is assholes are assholes. They don't change. And the reason I share that is that one of the chapters in the book is there are assholes on Zoom, too. And if you believe in those three principles, it's okay to have fun at work. Don't let underperformers work at your company and don't let bad leaders be leaders. It doesn't matter if you're on Zoom or Teams or in the same room. It doesn't matter. So let's not use that as an excuse to why I can't get my team excited. Because a great leader can get their team excited, no matter what the media is that they're using. Right. Those hold up in any environment. Absolutely. And now, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by Namely. The last few years have changed the way we work forever, and 2022 will be no exception. At-home workforces, internal mobility, and team community will continue to evolve and be more important than ever. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need to set you up for success in the new year and meet the latest HR trends of 2022 head-on. Namely helps you easily adapt to the ever-changing workplace and maintain a great experience for the entire employee life cycle. With onboarding, performance management, and intuitive benefits enrollment all on one connected platform. Plus, Namely can streamline your payroll, time tracking, and vacation requests, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, so you can be everyone's favorite HR leader. 
no matter how your company grows. This new year, don't just keep up, get ahead. Learn more about making the switch to Namely today at Namely.com. Don't wait, that's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. So we've been speaking about your book, Great Leaders Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck, How to Get, Keep, and Grow Talent. What's the one thing team leaders can do differently going into 2022 to immediately impact the workforce and make sure Monday mornings don't suck going into the new year? Yeah, awesome question. Um, So I am a big believer, and one of the things I learned in my career was the issue that a lot of companies have in building that culture that they think they want or they want and they just don't have it yet is that they don't set expectations for how they expect their leaders to show up. They tell a leader what their job is. Hey, we're hiring you to be the VP of finance. Here's your team. Here's your office. But one of the big tools that we talk about in the book is a tool called LEAD. And LEAD stands for Leadership Expectations and Development. And it's eight questions that I put together over 25 years of working for some really good and some really bad leaders. And it's very simple. It's ask yourself, do your leaders do these things? And I won't read all of them, but the first one is, and they're kind of yes or no questions. So for anyone who's listening, think about somebody who, uh, a boss that you've had, right? And, And whoever just popped into your mind. The first question is, you know, did this person, does this person create a culture high performers want to be a part of? Do they bring energy and enthusiasm to work every day? Do they support the direction of the company with no hidden agendas? Are they decisive? Do they make a tough call? Tough call needs to be made. You know, do they build relationships at all levels of the organization? And there's only a couple more. I might as well finish it off. So do they consistently deliver results? Do they manage the performance of their teams? And do they help the company grow by developing people? So nobody's ever read that list or read the book and called me and said, geez, Eric, how'd you come up with this? This is really revolutionary. No, it's very common sense. But where it breaks down for companies and what can I do different in 2022, get together as a leadership team and have the conversation of what do we as a leadership team agree that we will do and not do in 2022 going forward? Imagine a team sitting there saying, every single leader, hands on the table, we're in this together. We are going to create a culture high performers want to be a part of. We are going to bring energy and enthusiasm to work every day and go back through that same list. Now, some of the clients we work with come up with their own list. That's fine. You can use what's written in the book. Fine. I've used it at multiple companies and multiple industries. The point is, do your leaders know how you expect them to show up? And do your leaders know what you will or won't tolerate from a leadership standpoint? And I get it. Some companies aren't comfortable using something like, you know, assholes or assholes. They they don't change. If that word is too strong for your organization or whatever, pick a different one. It's the concept, right? And what became so powerful at one of the companies I worked at is, I used to call it lesson number three, and a candidate that I had interviewed came back to me about three months after he joined the company, very senior level leader, and, and referred to somebody who was in violation of rule number three. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I said, what the heck's rule number three? And he's like, what are you talking about? It's your rule. You know, you said we wouldn't let any bad leaders be here, uh, be leaders here when you interviewed me, and, and you need to hold this person accountable. And it was the most powerful thing that ever happened in my career because I was like, wow. First of all, I can't believe somebody listened. Second of all, it worked. I'm like, oh my God. But the point was, now we didn't have to use that word in our company. People knew what rule number three meant. Rule number three meant, if you're a leader here, that is a precious job. 
And you are lucky to be a leader here. And you're not going to get to treat people poorly. You're not going to get to not follow lead. You're not going to get to walk by our vision or values or mission statement on the wall and be one of the people that doesn't live up to it. And that's what doesn't happen in a lot of companies. They don't have that thing to tie back to. And, and, you know, listen, having difficult performance-related conversations is the biggest challenge of any leader I've ever worked with because it's not a natural thing or comfortable thing, but it makes having those conversations about leadership behavior completely objective. Like, Josh, this isn't because I don't like you, but we've talked about building relationships at all levels of the organization. You agreed you were going to meet with Mary and you've canceled on her six times. Help me understand how you think that is building relationships. It's not about me not liking you or because, you know, whatever. It's like, no, this is what you agreed to do as a leader. So that would be the number one thing I would encourage companies to do if you don't already have it in place. Establish that set of expectations, not what the job is, how you want your leaders to actually show up every day. Yeah, there's an expectation and a responsibility to being a leader. Right. As the line level employee, you can maybe hide behind different things and fall in line. As a leader, everyone's looking to you. So you're setting that example. Uh, one right. thing I like too that, that you mentioned in talking about making sure that Monday morning doesn't suck, it's right. eliminating the fear of the unknown. I think that's where the Sunday scaries come in yeah. and why are there Sunday scaries? Because you don't know what you're getting into on a Monday morning when, when you as a leadership, as part of the leadership team can establish, here's what Monday looks like and here's what we're getting into. I think those Sunday scaries, if they don't go away completely, they're certainly lessened. Great insight. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, one, one of the chapters in the book is, does your candidate experience match your employee experience? And it's exactly what you just talked about. Like you're interviewing somebody, you're telling them what it's going to be like when they join the company. Is that what it's like? Right. And they get to peek behind the curtain now because they're an employee. And it's like, well, wait, you told me that we were going to do this, this and this. And I don't see any of that around here. Right. And so that is you're right. And I think it works the other way too. your point. Like, I don't know what it is. Probably even worse. I was told it was going to be this and it's not (laughs) like I was told that it was this great culture, that there was leadership development. You were going to invest in my development. I was going to get to take these classes. You know, I've tried to take these classes and my boss keeps telling me I can't go because I have to get my reports done. Like whatever it might be, that's a disconnect from what the expectation was. Creates some of that sort of Sunday night stomach ache, as I like to say. Right. When you know what you're getting into on Monday morning, you'll bring a different energy. You'll bring the excitement. You'll bring that positivity that will then just drive your team and improve company culture immediately right there. And, And here's what I think can't go without conversation. I mean, I think the people who don't look forward to Monday are underperformers. And they quit. They just haven't given their notice. I mean, again, think about your, if you're listening, think about your highest performing employee on your team, whoever that is. How do they show up on Monday? Now think about your lowest performing employee. How do they show up on Monday? And the only thing that's going to happen to that high performing person who brings energy and enthusiasm to work on Monday and all of a sudden starts is because they've watched you tolerate that bad leader, that bad behavior, that bad performer for enough months or weeks in a row that they just decide to give up. Like, why, why am I the one who's always bringing energy into the room because nobody else is? And, and that's the leader's responsibility to make sure. And, and I get challenged on it a lot. Like, you know, Eric, you can't honestly say that every single person on a team can be a high performer. And it's like, yeah, actually, I do think they can. I don't understand the idea that they can. 
Because the only reason that that underperformer isn't your high performer is that you haven't either, A, given them the tools and resources and development and time to, to get better and improve their performance, or invited them to move to your biggest competitor. And sometimes you have to do that too, but you've tolerated and let the behavior you know, come in. And I don't buy into the great recession conversation. I think it's a mass exodus of bad leadership, but, but I will say we do a lot of search work at GKG. It's a core part of our business, executive search. The availability of amazing talent is better and bigger than it's ever been. So the only reason you can't have a superstar in any one of your open positions right now is because you don't want a superstar. I truly believe that. And I'm so glad you spoke about talent there. You mentioned talent because that was the next question I had on this list was attracting talent. It's the focus of so many HR leaders. But once you have that talent, what can HR leaders do to groom that talent and make them into high performing individuals and keep them on that growth track beyond just starting out? You get them in the door. What's next? Yeah. So when I do, I do a lot of speaking engagements. And when I do a speaking engagement, I, again, I have this uh, concept that performance management is not a one-time event. And I have this visual that I use that shows, listen, it starts way upstream, right? In the interview process, you know, does every single person who walks away from an interview with your company, walk out of the door and say, wow, I hope I get that job. Even if you knew five minutes after talking to them that you weren't going to hire them, do they leave saying, wow, that, that team is excited about what's going on in this company? So that's sort of the first part. Now, to your point, they've joined and they're they're done with orientation and now they're they're doing their job. Well, then it becomes this fluid kind of every day. Are you setting expectations? Are you course correcting? Are you giving feedback and coaching? Um, are you having fun, right? Not because you have to fill out a you know monthly scorecard, because that's who you are as a leader. And in that, I call it kind of the, the wheel, the employee life cycle. You know, you stay in that, no problem. And, and if you're not performing, then you only have two paths. One is performance improvement. And the only two paths out of that box are up or out. You don't get to sit in that box for months or you stay in the wheel and become a high producing employee. And, you know, not everybody needs to want to get promoted, but even for the people who, hey, I'm a director, I want to be a director. I don't want to be a VP, a great leader said, okay, well, let's talk about then. What else can we continue to give you that's going to keep you challenged and engaged? Hey, you've been doing this for five years. You're crushing it. You're our highest performing director. Uh, what if you picked up, you know, this responsibility? What would get you excited? Like as simple of a concept as that is, one of the answers to your question is ask your employees, right? So your question to me was, what can a company do to keep an employee engaged and help them grow and continue to be, you know, excited? Well, that answer is going to be different based on every single person you ask, right? So do you know the answer? And, and one of my concepts is, you know, you know, do you get to know your team and does your team get to know you? And if we sit down and I say, hey, Josh, what would get you most excited next quarter? You know, what's one thing you haven't been able to do yet that you want to do? Hey, if you could write your own resume for the next six months, what would that look like? That doesn't mean it's all going to happen. But now the employee gets to say, wow, like how cool of a conversation is that? Hey, I'd love an opportunity to speak at the executive team meeting. I've never had a chance to. And I know some from the team have. And I'd really, wow. Thanks for letting me know. We can make that happen. 
And if they come back and say something like, you know, I want to be the CEO in the next 90 days, and you can say, well, you've been here for four weeks, that's probably not going to happen. But uh, all kidding aside, like if it's something that's unrealistic, then you, you have to have that conversation too. That, Listen, that's probably not going to happen, but let me tell you why. But let's talk about what we can do to get you pointed in that direction. So again, my book is about let's not overcomplicate this thing called leadership. It's really not that hard. Leadership is hard when you have underperforming employees that are allowed to show up every day. When you lead a team of high performers, being a manager is one of the greatest jobs you can ever have. Being a manager sucks when you've got a bunch of underperformers who don't support the direction of the company, who quit you and never gave you their notice and show up every day like their dog died and have no energy or enthusiasm. Like who wants to lead that team, right? So it's such a simple concept to answer your question of ask your team. Like, what do you want to keep you engaged and grow and develop? Yeah, I mean, that, that's letting your employees really lead their own careers to an extent, Yeah, which seems to almost groom leadership qualities for when they, and if they do move on to that leadership goal, okay, you've learned how to lead yourself. Now you can hopefully lead others. Yeah. I think a great leader understands that they really don't matter that much to the organization. And they understand that the only reason they have a job is because of the 100, 1,000, or 6,000 people that roll up under their organization. And a really great leader understands that my only job is to make you happy every day, Josh. What does that mean? I'm not a big deal. And if I act like a big deal, then, you know, whatever. But, you know, my first job at Target, I was very lucky. I'm from Minnesota. I worked in Roseville, Minnesota, which was T1, the first Target ever built. And uh, I'm old enough that on my first day, I had a department manager who had been there since grand opening day, right? So this was in the mid-90s. Target had been around about 30 years. And she had been there literally since the first day. And on my first day, I come in, you know, I'm a college kid, just graduated, and I'm now the manager, whatever that meant. And she just came up to me and she said, hey, you're not a big deal. If you act like a big deal, this is going to be really tough for you. Your job is to make my job easier. So just ask me what you can do for me every day and we're going to get along just great. I was like, well, nice to meet you. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm like, well, you're right. What can I do for you today? And usually it was something simple. You know, I've been asking the the, you know, supply chain team for a new tool that I've needed for three months and nobody's gotten it for me. I walk back in the back room, get the tool and give it to her. And now all of a sudden you're a hero, but you really didn't do anything. You just made her job easier. Like this isn't that hard. Right. And and I have this concept. If it's broke, fix it. So if you're a leader and there's something that's broken, whatever that means, fix it. And if you can't, at least explain the why. Nothing's more frustrating for teams than when they bring something to their leader and the answer is always the same. I'll look into it. I'll get back to you. But then they never get back to them and they never look into it. It's like, this really isn't that hard. This employee needs this tool. Get them the tool. If there's a reason you can't, tell them. They might not like the answer, but at least you gave them closure on what their issue was. But six months from now, it's like, I still don't have that tool. And the new manager comes in and gets it for them the next day. What do you think they think of the outgoing leader? So anyway, this stuff's not that hard. And and that's what I love talking to companies about, like, you know, let's not overcomplicate it, right? People want free things when they go to work. A cool place with cool projects and cool people. And you can define it however you want. My definition is a cool place is, you know, uh, it's either a brand or a product or a building or an office or something about the company that really resonates with me. Cool projects is, is the work engaging and rewarding. And cool people has to be the company's commitment not to let any assholes be leaders. 
If you do those three things, you're going to be uh, most of the way towards creating a culture where Monday morning doesn't suck. That's perfect. And then you're building a culture towards success. So Eric, thank you for sharing all that. I think you gave us some just great tips on leadership and really how leadership can overcome the need oftentimes for an employee handbook. Having you on here, we definitely have had a chance to talk a great deal about your book, which uh, again is Great Leaders Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck, How to Get, Keep, and Grow Talent. That's out by Forbes Books. So we'll be sure to provide links to that through our website on hrdailyadvisor.com. But if you have anything else you'd like to plug, let our listeners know. What else do you have going on? Yeah, no, listen, I appreciate that. You can find a lot of information about GKG Search and Consulting. And the elevator pitch is really simple. GKG stands for Get, Keep, Grow. We have a lot of work we do, all focused on the talent and leadership in your organization, helping you get, keep, and grow that talent. You can check out more and find out a lot more information on my website, which is ericharkins.com. There's a link to obviously buy the book there. You can get the book at Amazon or anywhere you go online to purchase books. But uh, ericharkins.com, you'll get a a good overview, I think, of uh, the work that we do. Love to do speaking events. Always excited to uh, have opportunities to stand up in front of leadership teams and, you know, take the message from the book and really expand on it into what does it really take to create this culture that everybody's working so hard to create. So, uh, you know, I'll end with that again, uh, ericharkins.com, E-R-I-C-H-A-R-K-I-N-S, and uh, you'll be able to get just about anything you want from the website. Perfect. All right, ericharkins.com. So, Eric, one thing before we wrap here. You wake up Monday yeah. morning. What's the one thing that gets you motivated when your feet hit the floor to start your day? Well, it's exciting because, you know, I had kind of this 15-year uh, dream about, you know, starting my own company. And so now I wake up every day saying, wow, I did it, right? Scary. And I did it and uh, and having just a blast with it. But, you know, I, I got to a point in my career where I woke up and what got me excited about Monday was realizing, as I said earlier, like, what am I going to do today to make my team's day better, my team's day easier, you know, help my team achieve their goal, whether that's a work goal or a personal goal, like really understanding that as a leader, this is about you know, making that connection to your individual team. And that sort of evolved into, listen, at the end of the day, your only job as a leader is to make sure Monday morning doesn't stop. So I hope for anyone listening, and I think what got me out of bed for most of my career was kind of that never-ending goal of what am I going to do today to create a culture high performers want to be a part of, and what am I going to do today to make sure Monday morning doesn't stop? It's a great way to get inspired. It's a great question. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Perfect way to go out. So Eric Harkins, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the HR Works yeah, podcast. Thank and you. Sharing that insight with our audience of listeners here and HR professionals. We hope you can come back and share more insight down the line. But again, great speaking with you and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to join uh, again anytime. So look forward to it. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the HR Works podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.